So this afternoon, I thought to touch in briefly um, <coughs> on the factors of view, right view, virtue, value of ethics, and perhaps we might get into sangwara, restraint or collecting, gathering in. Mm. So this is really um, quite crucial in uh, that look at a couple of extracts. For example, the Mahachattarisaka Sutta, M117. And here on your sheets, it comes under the heading of right view and right effort. This section on your sheets. And so if we go down that, you'll see it's section, this sutta, the Mahachattarisaka Sutta, if, if you've read through it, you recognize it, it outlines three particular cardinal uh, factors of the Eightfold Path. And this sutta actually describes the Tenfold Path, which is interesting, because it talks about the Eightfold Path, which is the average learner's path, and then two other factors, which are the the path factors that arise for a, 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 a realized being. And generally in this sutra it seems to be for arahants, but there's another sutra in the Anguttara Nikaya where he talks about the tenfold path being something that's available for sotapanas, stream enterers. Essentially we don't want to go into that right now, but um, it's just an interesting <laughs> 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 And the, the other two factors are um, right, samanyana, or right, right gnosis, right, right realization, and sama vimuti, right liberation. Mm. So those are the two. Say that those are the ways of expressing, uh, you know, the the accomplishments. That is, one has sama, right, complete, full, wise, however you want to describe sama. Nyana, nyana is one of those wisdom words like panya and anya. Jnana generally means a kind of uh, a realization or, or quite closely connected to gnosis. Even the sound of the word jnana, gnosis, means some, some sort of, kind of mystical realization, you would say. And then some are vimuti, right release, right liberation. Mm. So those are the two other path factors. So this sutta describes these tenfold, uh, touches into the tenfold path, but it says, uh, Samasamadhi is the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, as you know, uh, and that acts as the as the springboard for the for the other two factors. It's in in Samadhi is where the other skillful factors that we've accomplished or brought them to fruition or brought into practice through the the other seven factors in Samadhi collects it all together and you deepen into it. So. As you probably recognize when you meditate, there's a whole layer of surf, you know, superficial thoughts and jingle, jingle, jingle going on. And eventually with a bit of <laughs> work, you get down to something a bit more sort of steady state and perhaps just not so much thought, but it's kind of mood and energy swirls and feeling a bit dull and feeling a bit hyper. And, you know, and then you start to sort that out. So you're kind of deepening from the cognitive level down to the more emotive level 
down to something where you've got just a sense of being, you know, when you're, when you're in samadhi. So then this is where those, in that process these, all these hindrances are kind of worked out if you approach it properly. Anyway, he says, for in the sutta, the three, the three cardinal factors that uh, will arrive at samar samadhi are right view, right effort, and right mindfulness. Uh, so, a little s- sort of footnote on samadhi. The word concentration, though it's commonly accepted, and you know, it's a reasonable enough word, unfortunately carries the impression that you get to samadhi through concentrating and it doesn't quite work like that it's it's uh, check it out for yourself but when you look at the process of samadhi it's a, it's it's a unification that occurs a gathering and a collecting of things a unifying of of the the body mind energies um so it's it's a state that we arrive at rather than we don't do samadhi we arrive at it through doing other things and what we do essentially is we uh, cultivate right view right intention uh, right mindfulness you keep bringing your mind back to the object and fully bearing in mind the quality of your meditation object deepening into it starting to feel happy with that relaxed and at ease uh, and then uh, you know, becoming more still and complete in that. So I was kind of touching into this just in the meditation. You start off trying to first of all get the whole quality of the meditation object. So the breath, for example, the whole feeling of it, not just the, you know, tracking it like, but really feeling it fully, get the completeness of it, and then start to get it so it feels comfortable. You have to feel so. That, so there's the basis for this rapture, happiness, and uplift and ease. So that's your. So your first thing is to get the thing fully, and then to get it to feel comfortable. As you get it to feel comfortable, you start to notice what you can stop doing. So your mind then inclines towards stillness. There's any extra actions I don't need to do, and some of these actions could be pushiness or anxiety or wondering whether I'm getting it right and this kind of twittering stuff goes around the edges of the middle you start dropping all that so your mind then inclines towards stiller and stiller and stiller so then that's the deepening process of samadhi and you see what's happening there is, is not just to hold that point but certainly bearing something in mind which is the function of samadhi then having the skillful intentionalities views intentions views a particular sense of and we'll get into that and then the effort which is not just a bulldozer effort but subtle use of application the right kind of uh gathering your resources applying yourself moment at a time you know and then so then and then mindfulness is then drinking in the fullness of that bearing it in mind drinking it all in because we bear it, bear it in mind, so it's quite, it's quite a, a, a full, full process. It's rather like you know, drinking horse drinking water. You don't just say drink, but that isn't it. I mean, but it gets there, it feels thirsty, it feels where the water is clean, draws it in, feels refreshed, 
and the quality of that refreshment passes through the entire body. You take it in. Okay, mm. so the um, right view, which is uh, very, very important in Buddha's teachings, and uh, it's one of those big, big factors where the Buddha, many occasions, says there's nothing worse than wrong view, and and castigates monks of wrong view. Says wrong view takes you to hell. You know he doesn't. He doesn't have any mercy on wrong view. <laughs> and so he says, what is wrong view? There is nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed, no fruit or result of good or bad, ac- bad actions, no this world, no other world, no mother, no father, no beings who are reborn spontaneously, no good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins in this world who realize for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is wrong view. The fact that he, that he said, so essentially what the third things that are being refuted, one of them is, is the efficacy of good actions. It says, no, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter. Not important, no, no good results. So it, it, it over, overrules the Buddha's understanding of karma. And if you, if you'd like to read the suttas and you look in the second sutta of the Diganikai, the long discourses, where the king Ajatasattu visits six other teachers at the time who all have some degree of wrong view. And some of them, one of them says, well, you know, there's no such thing as good and evil. If you go along the north bank of the Ganges, cutting off people's heads, slashing, slaughtering, butchering, doesn't mean a thing. And another one says, is, you know, that we're just elements. And if you cut somebody's head off, it's just putting a blade between two element, the earth element and the space element. There's nobody in there. And uh, so these kind of, f- uh, and others feel you just have to, there's fatalism. In other words, you just sit here and go through life after life after life until stuff wears out. Yeah, and some people say that some of them say there's no such thing as another life, a future life. So this either moral nihilism, um, um, fatalism, and and uh, uh, oh the Jain view, which I don't know how accurate it is, but it's it's, it's castigated in the Buddha's teachings as um, a kind of very radical f- uh, view of karma. That is, karma is a sort of an inheritance that we have to wear out through through extreme denial, you know, through asceticism. You just keep restraining yourself from any kind of, of action until you die. Um, you, know, you, sort of, uh, you can't scratch yourself because you, that's a violence. So you have a very, very uh, radical view of karma. Whereas the Buddha's teaching on karma is about intentionality, not action, but, but intention. Yeah, difference between intention and action. Yeah, so, for example, if I stand on an ant without without knowing without knowing it, that's an action that's caused that creature's life. There's no bad karma in that. But if I go around stamping on ants, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with some conscious awareness of what I'm doing, then there would be. Mm-hmm. So then he says, uh, well, the opposite is right view, and the two kinds of right view. One is the right view affected by taints means there's some sort of bias in there um, what's sometimes called mundane right view there is such a thing as good and bad there is cause and effect 
we do have uh, we do inherit things from our mother and father we do have some sense of empathy and, and sharing and there's inheritance from mother and father we're not just they're not just lumps of meat that are older than we are and uh, there is this world another world there is such a thing as a future uh, an ongoing a future existence or sometimes called rebirth transmigration um, and then there are beings recluses virtuous meditators and um, gone forth people who have realized um, the set this the nature of the world and the nature of future life so it's pointing to cause and effect as a big field in which we are this field that we are we arise in as, as individual beings and then pass away and then arise again so we, even though we our bodies die we don't leave something doesn't leave the field of cause and effect rather like the waves of the sea the wave rises and passes but it doesn't leave the sea and then it rises again so it rises again um yeah and what why does it arise because there's an ongoing dynamic that's causing it to arise there's an ongoing turbulence there's an ongoing energy form that causes it to arise and this energy form is called sankara in in for human beings it's a so the nature of our ongoing energies our ongoing intentionalities our ongoing impulses our ongoing for mental form you would say whether it's a form caught with uh, fear anxiety various forms of skillful and unskillful impulses that packet then you know even though the body passes away that packet then moves into the in, in, and arises again so that's that's what passes from one life to the next is sankhara not not consciousness but sankhara um so with this then with this naturally then the nature of our our of that of our intentionality is quite crucial that's what's that's what's moving along and um so then um so if we understand that if we if we don't think it doesn't matter or that by you know um praying to some divinity will sort us out or making a donation will sort us out or forgetting about it was <laughs> it isn't going to happen you know uh, or so because you've got to do the work on on your own your own sankara your own mind chitta which is which carries chitta is the is the is the um here and now location of the awareness that's affected by sankara in the present is this that you know so this is what we have to work with so therefore right effort and right mindfulness right mindfulness the ability to uh, um both restrain the distractedness the agit- so that some of this, these energies are then contained held steadied and uh it acts as a foundation of both calm because of steadying of restraint sangwara means we we're careful about our ethical um uh actions you know and we also can't steady it long enough to really be able to look into the mind yeah so it's both uh, calming ethical and wisdom but mindfulness is the 
basis for all of these. Yeah. So it's doing a big job, but we won't bother to be mindful unless we think it's going to do us some good. <laughs> so that's what right view is about. Yeah. Recognizing there, there's a, there is something, there is a good result. And just to touch into another, another one. If you look in the section called Virtue, the second one, Sangyuta 46.3. Oh, just before I pass on from the last one, um, you'll notice this word in intention appears in the Mahachattarisaka Sutta. Here it's, here it's a translation of Sankapa rather than Chaitana. So Sankapa, they're similar, but Sankapa is the second factor of the path and it means like something like attitude, general inclination, mindset, you know. So so uh, if your mindset, if your general attitude is towards cruelty or towards uh, sensuality or towards ill will. So it's like more kind of a over overarching uh, traits. Whereas Chetana means the here and now arising of a particular impulse. Sankapa means something more like one's, one's attitude, one's particular you know, inclinations long term. Mm-hmm. Two are very are closely related. Anyway, virtue, those bhikkhus who are accomplished in virtue, accomplished in concentration, accomplished in wisdom, accomplished in liberation, accomplished in the knowledge and vision of liberation, even the sight of those bhikkhus is helpful, I say. Even listening to them, even approaching them, even attending on them, even recollecting them, even going forth after them is helpful, I say. For what reasons? Because when one has heard the Dhamma from such bhikkhus, one dwells, wells, one dwells withdrawn by way, by way of two kinds of withdrawal, withdrawal of body and withdrawal of mind. And the next bit, dwelling thus withdrawn, one recollects that Dhamma and thinks it over. Whenever bhikkhus are bhikkhu dwelling thus withdrawn, recollects that Dhamma and thinks it over, on that occasion the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is aroused by the bhikkhu. On that occasion the bhikkhu develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. On that occasion the enlightenment factor of mindfulness comes to fulfillment by development in the bhikkhu. And he goes on to describe the other enlightenment factors. These are seven Bojanga enlightenment factors, uh, of which mindfulness in this particular lineup, as I said, mindfulness always occurs as part of a team. Here it's a team of seven, and mindfulness is the is the beginner. The, uh, the, yeah. Where in the Indriya, the five Indriya mindfulness is the third. In this one, it's the first, yeah, so it's so the instigator. Then one is mindful. Then from that, one is able dhamma vijaya, which is the second fact, enlightenment factor, because one is bearing something in mind. Then one can investigate. You know, you can't investigate if you're not mindful. Yeah. So, and then because of that investigation. Um, there's energy aroused. You're interested, what's this, what's that, how's this happening? You get some energy going in there. And because of energy, um, spiritual rapture arises. You feel a sense of enthusiasm. You're getting, you're getting to the point, you're discovering things. 
you know you got so so there's that uh, rapture is a, a, a an uplifted enthusiastic state like someone who is uh, a skilled carpenter at work who's enjoying their work you know it's work but they're chipping away and they know what they're doing you see these people when they get going a carpenter or an ice skater or anybody who knows what they're doing <laughs> doing it <laughs> there's a certain sort of flow energy they have which is buoyant and uplifting and it's lovely to see people doing this you know? and so this is called rapture but in this case it's spiritual rapture which is really about inner work rather than external work then um, spiritual rapture bec- because of this the body becomes tranquil so this is the sequence and this sequence occurs many times in talking about the qu- how samadhi arises First of all, you get the uh, start from a good basis, virtue, clarity, and then uh, the rapture arises, the sense of you know, like a vitality and an and a, uh, enthusiasm and a happy state. And then the tranquility or the sense of ease, rather like you know, the carpenter's finished carving his chair leg, whatever it is, he looks at it, that was well done. He feels a sense of happiness. Yeah, or the ice skater's done her pirouettes and comes to the end of a performance and feels, oh, you know, that was really good. Yeah. So this quality. So this is what can occur in the body. And it talked about mm, mm, the body first of all becomes tranquil. Yeah, the, the the tensions, the staleness, the jangling, the nervous twitches have gone out. And the body feels really nice, and because of that, the mind sits within that. The bo- mind sits within that body. The mind feels tranquil, happy, and because of that, um, concentration occurs. So that's the sequence. Got to get the, the the happy stuff going, and then your mind easily sits within that because it, it's natural for us to find ourselves um, easily c- gathered into something that's pleasant sitting in a bathtub, in a hot, hot bathtub, lying on the beach, whatever it is, no problem. <laughs> but this is, is a lot better and deeper. And then uh, with concentration, um, begins to the m- look at the mind and uh, a sense of equanimity arises through noticing the nature of, of mind states, uh, they come and they go. Um, so there's a sense of dispassion towards mind states. Anyway, so these are the seven, and then mindfulness sits at the top of that. What we notice in this passage, it doesn't say particularly, you know, your mindfulness of body. So mindfulness can be rather larger. It means the ability to bear something in mind. In this case, what they're bearing in mind, what he's bearing in mind, is the teachings or the example. You may see these monks composed, collected, sitting still, and, f- and that's, that's the bit you get. You get, oh, wow, that was really, wow. You know, so you, you bear that in mind and it, it sort of sits with you and you're, oh, yeah. You get, you get that. So in the time of the Buddha, one notices many occasions people would receive that kind of message just from the body language and the, the behavior of the arahants. They would feel a sense of 
of confidence and inspiration and bearing that in mind is considered um, a standard means of of some usefulness useful that's what devotional practices are about Buddha you bear the Buddha in mind you bring to mind the qualities of the Buddha you sit with that you stay with that till you feel a sense of uh, inspiration so that energy rising up energy bearing this in mind Mm. and we we meditate and then it says this withdrawn in body withdrawn in mind what this means is that the uh, it's the translation of the word viveka viveka uh, means that uh, you're not drawn out essentially so uh, instead of fidgeting or involved with it externally fidgeting you know shuffling things around moving around you're, you're still and your mind is doing the same thing instead of the mind running out to this that and the other the mind is withdrawn from uh, covetousness from grief from agitation over the world as the expression that's used in the Satipatthana Sutta so it's drawing it in uh, and then uh, this is all contributing and and uh, a contributory cause of mindfulness and some of that mindfulness is strengthened by. Yeah. Notice also um, the last well, mention accomplished in virtue, so we can bear virtue in mind, to bring that to mind, our own uh, virtues. And uh, Buddha's approach towards virtue is, is it's not righteous. It's not snobbish, it's not conceited. Virtue is considered to be good stuff. <laughs> Makes you feel good. It's not, it's not got some kind of moralizing tint to it. It just says, if you're virtuous, you feel better, so do it. <laughs> there's no judgment in there, no kind of God up there judging you because you're not, there's no sin and guilt and things of this nature. Just saying virtue is the good stuff because when you're virtuous, uh, you're liable to associate with good people you feel a sense of self-respect. Um, you don't waste your money gambling, uh, <laughs> drinking, <laughs> stuff like that. You know. You, so you say, well, this is really good. It makes your life a lot better if, you, if you're virtuous. If you're able to, to follow, keep your word, people trust you. If you don't gossip and slander and backstab, then you have a lot more friends. You don't have this nasty aftertaste. If you've been saying silly things, if you don't drink, steal, lie, cheat, and so forth, then it just makes you feel better. Um, and that, that's a part of it. It's quite, in a way, it's quite self-oriented. Self-interest is not considered wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's very pragmatic. We're saying, yeah, be self-interested. Be interested in your own welfare. And this is how you do it get some virtue under your belt that does you a lot of good get some sensory straightening in there that'll help you out <laughs> there's nothing bashful about about um, self-interest just because it's saying if you get this then yeah it'll be for your interest but also do other people some good too you know the, the when we when we hit good karma we touch into good intentionality it may in fact be motivated by I want to feel better in myself but the nature of good action is it immediately will bring around or 
possibilities to other people to feel good too. Yeah, like if I'm not killing them, they probably feel a lot better. Uh, if I'm not stealing from them, cheating, and so forth, then then f- what's for my welfare is for your welfare in terms of virtue. So, virtue means we is is we into this kind of empathic field. You know, for good for me, it's good for you. If it's not good for you, I really question whether it's really good for me. You know, maybe just uh, haven't quite got the equation right. Uh, it's not, you know. So it's an empathic field. It means we have the sense of to others as to myself is the basic law, you might say, you know, of, of in- virtue. And the other aspect of that empathic field is the Brahma Vihara, a sense of boundless kindness and compassion. We feel individually when we cultivate that, we feel better than if we're not cultivating it. That's just the basic thing. Um, and naturally it sets up a better environment for us to dwell in. Yeah? So with this and then bearing this in mind, staying with that, staying within that, it, both in terms of our actions and in terms of what we're concerned about. You know, what can I do about, you know, goodness me, you name it, Palestine, the whales, um, global pollution, Yada yada, you know, you just give them this. Well, <laughs> uh, what I can do <laughs> is I can do something immediately for 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 you. you know. So so you, you just bring your attention into what you can, where your possibilities are, and develop that. And of course, it, it can reach out. That's wonderful. The more the better. So we don't. Um, just dismiss the laws of cause and effect because right now we can't, I can't do much about you know the tsunami in Japan or something of that nature. But you know, doesn't mean I can't do anything for anyone. You know, which is what kind of you can get that feeling if you just get too absorbed in newspapers, you just get hopeless about it all. So really. Bearing it in mind, remembering it, remembering the goodness rather than remembering things you couldn't do or failed to do or or got wrong. Yeah. So that you bear that in mind, that w- that will be for your happiness and welfare. And the mind feels stabilized in that. So virtue is a support for mindfulness. If you have things on your mind, your conscience is disturbed, remorse, regret... It's difficult to get the mind really sitting still with that. It fidgets, it worries, it nags away. So without virtue, then mindfulness is, is uh, you know, can't get going. The last um, one I'll mention, just touching to this afternoon, restraint, sangwara. And we have this sutta, Similarly, the six animals, Sangyuta 35, chapter 35, 247th Sutta. It's it's, um, quite a dramatic presentation, as a lot of the Buddha's teachings are are quite vivid, vividly depicted. 
Suppose a man with limbs wounded and festering would enter a wood with thorny reeds and the coos of thorns would prick his feet and the reed blades would slash his limbs. <laughs> concrete, isn't it? Thus that man would thereby experience even more pain and displeasure. Indeed. And so too, Bhikkhu, some Bhikkhu gone to the village or forest meets someone who reproaches him thus. This venerable one acting in such a way, behaving in such a way as a foul village thorn. Having understood him as a thorn, one should understand restraint and non-restraining. So this means that you, your, your mind is continually thrown out through the sense doors, through the eye, you know, whoa, look at that, through the ear, nose, tongue, touch. And he gives, so he says, <coughs> or get caught up with thoughts, mental thoughts. Your, your mental energy is, is caught up with thoughts. So it's important to recognize that this restraining is not just about uh, the external senses, but also the internal sense base of this, of the, the mano, which is the, the, the thinking mind, the mind that brings things into the heart the mind that brings all the details that remembers things so we might very well be sitting you know even sitting still and then bringing all these unpleasant memories thoughts obsessions cravings grudges into into our heart you know and you realize that that can happen can't it <laughs> you know just sitting still doesn't doesn't mean you're meditating it can mean you know playing the old record again obsessing again with the same old stuff, you know. Um, so, it says, if you haven't set up mindfulness of the body, then your mind is limited. It's hampered. You haven't got, uh, um, your mind doesn't have this resource of, of mindfulness of the body. It's limited by, it's just stuck in this, niddering world of thought yeah. it's spinning round whereas mindfulness of the body uh, if you look in these is considered to be essential for uh, realization of the deathless so you don't you don't touch the deathless without mindfulness of the body this mindfulness body would one fact one thing it does it takes you out of obsessive thinking so it's quite natural for the chitta to be caught up in these dhammas, these thought forms that the mano aspect has brought to it. And so that the, the mano, the attention faculty, the thinking, the calculating, the defining faculty, doesn't always act as a willing servant of the citta. It sometimes takes over. <laughs> and we're just obsessed steeped in endless nagging worrying anxious thoughts and overwhelmed by it look in the honey ball sutta you'll see that that process described you know one think one once perceives one thinks one become become the objects of one's obsessions they eventually overwhelm you and you probably might have experienced some of that so mindfulness of the body without having set up that one does not understand as it really is the liberation of mind li li and liberation by wisdom wherein those evil unwholesome states cease. So this, um, now liberation 
of mind and liberation of wisdom. This this pair of terms is uh, uh, is frequently referred to. You, you may wonder what you know what's the difference. One is ceto vimuti, liberation of mind, ceto c e t o vimuti, and the other liberation of wisdom is panya vimuti. Liberation of mind is uh, um, more like a, a samatha or a or a an energetic freedom. That is, the mind is no longer quivering or trembling. It's steady state. It's free from the uh, flickerings, the the, the uh, and the you know uh, that we you know experience. It's stirrings. It's not stirring. It's steady. It's calm. It's serene. Liberation by wisdom is that there is a looking into that experience and seeing clearly what has been released, what is freed, um, seeing clearly this too is conditioned. This state of stillness has arisen through causes and conditions. It's not self, it's this. So those, but you know, you, you have to have the liberation of mind in order to be able to look clearly. If your mind is agitated and running around, you don't get the same penetrative clarity. So the two factors of liberation, liberation of citta vimuti and panya vimuti, the arahant has both of those. Um, now, the other simile he uses is the simile of the six animals, which is the main point. A snake, a crocodile, a bird, a dog, a jackal and a monkey, tied each by a strong rope. Having done so, you tie the ropes together with a knot in the middle and release them. Then those six animals with different domains and different feeding grounds would each pull in the direction of its own feeding ground or domain. The snake would pull one way, thinking, let me enter an anthill. The crocodile would pull another way, thinking, let me enter the water. The bird would pull another way, thinking, let me fly into the sky. The dog would pull another way, thinking, let me enter a village. The jackal would pull another way, thinking, let me enter a charnel ground. That's pretty grim, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for some corpses to eat <laughs> bones the monkey would pull another way thinking let me enter a forest so this, this is a simile of the six senses all wanting to go in different directions all pulling pulling out now when these six animals became worn out and fatigued they would be dominated by the one among them that was strongest so whichever is the strongest will then dominate the others so too, in a bhikkhu who has not developed and cultivated mindfulness throughout the body, the eye pulls in the direction of agreeable forms and finds disagreeable forms repulsive. So it goes in all these six sense spaces how our, our um, thinking mind is conjures up things we could have, places we could go, wonderful places we could go, things we could have, things we could taste, or you know, conjures up these and thinks of unpleasant things to, to feel annoyed by. <laughs> yeah. So, how to import hell? With <laughs> you can have your own private little hell realm going as if, you, as if we're no shortage of <laughs> options. <laughs> of other places you could find it in. So, and that probably for many people, that will tend to be the, the animal that comes out on top of the others. Yeah. 
because the the eye shuts, the ear, the mind never, go, the thinking mind never closes down. Even when it's asleep, it keeps going. So you can't clo- you can't close the mind. You can close your eyes. You can you know, put cotton wool in your ears, but you, you can't. So that's that's tends to, that's the leader of the pack. That's the one that dominates the others, and then the other senses will kind of follow up what the, what the thinking mind where it wants to go. In such a way there is non-restraining. So this is see this is what happens when there's no restraint. When there is a restraint, seeing a form with the eye of bhikkhu is not intent upon it and not repelled by a displeasing form. So in, intent here is the way that the you know the visual percept the visual object enters uh, is picked up by attention, and then the meaning of that oh that look that could really be fun that could be enjoyable sits into the in the chitta into the mind and the mind delights in it. So then it, it, it's kind of intent upon it. It starts the form around that, or a, re- a repugnant or disagreeable impression is taken in and the mind seizes on that and, and festers around that so then he says this is what so you you said when you set up mindfulness of body um, first you you kind of first of all you have that basic understanding to not get drawn out so your your intent is not upon those things you have that understanding and use mindfulness of body to back it up so mindfulness of the body acts like a strengthener says don't go out there stay here stay in this body stay with the breathing in and out stay with the sensations in the body not running out and um, again the image here the eye does not pull in the direction of agreeable forms nor are disagreeable forms repulsive and so forth. The mind does not pull in the direction of agreeable mental phenomena, nor are disagreeable mental phenomena repulsive. In such a way there is restraint. So he likens this to having a strong post or pillar to which these six animals are tethered, so they can't rush off in all different directions. A strong post or pillar, this bhikkhus is a designation for mindfulness directed to the body. Therefore, you should train yourselves. We will develop and cultivate mindfulness directed to the body, make it our vehicle, make it our basis, stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfected it. This, thus, you should train yourselves. So, here, mindfulness is being used basically uh, as the uh, faculty that, that supports restraint, so that there is this sense of uh, viveka withdrawal and there's a gathering in Mm. and with that gathering in it's done through mindfulness rather than through um, um, negativity criticism guilt shame opinions ideologies (laughs) it's not saying this is sinful this is wrong you shouldn't do that you know it's just saying wait a minute that's going out it's just feeling the energy pulling out so well actually I feel a lot better if I'm gathered in there's no righteous moralizing condemnation of that 
any more than we're condemning these animals. It just that's their nature. But you take responsibility for those um, sent those faculties. You say gather them in, make them sit down. You'll feel a lot better this way. Yeah. Um, this will lead to um, um, piti, spiritual uplift, rapture. This will lead to pasadi or sukha, tranquility and ease. This will lead to samadhi. It will both be a good, pleasant experience in the here and now and be the basis for deep realization. Then um, the detail, of course, is that uh, how we manage to attend to things need to be thought about, need to be seen, uh, need to be heard, need to be given consideration. How do you have those sense faculties open but governed? You know, so they're not rushing out. You know, and this is where what's called wise attention the only so many sakara is important because with that you begin to monitor whether your mind is distracted uh, dragged out uh, dreamy or whether it's purposeful i'm going out to that in order to accomplish something that i'm focused on that i feel clear about i'm going out that i'm going out into that sight or that sound in order to you know do something that's needed, necessary, supportive, mm. and so that it's not a it's not a suppression of the senses. It's governing the careless, careless, heedless outflow, so it's more responsible, directing, and then something you can say well, that's enough. Come back, switch it off, turn it, you know, come in, switch it off, and so this is the process of. Um, uh, virtue, restraint, right view, mindfulness. Okay. So, breathe in, breathe out. Mm. Is there any questions or things you'd like to um, bring up, talk about? Yeah. When it feels cramped or tense, um, you might try to find out where where the where the cramp tension is. It's based upon a physical restriction or a or a mental one, a psychological one. And you try to uh, find out where you feel more comfortable. Focus on that. Develop that. Make that your primary mode of attention. And let the breathing move from the, un- from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. So you feel like breathing through it. Just breathing through it. And uh, checking what's happening in your mind. Whether your mind is tensing up or pushing. Or, you know working around it. So it's rather like massage, you might say. Massage. Breath massage. <laughs> and mental massage, because you've got to watch what your mental attitudes are, if you're getting frustrated with it, or you're trying to push it away, or 
or, or there's some negativity or fear, you know. So those those mental, um, te- you know, intentions or attitudes might be present. Yeah. Explain the chit or move the end of the prajna. I mean, is it the, like the samatha? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, if, yeah, if you look in the Anapanasati Sutta, the third tetrad is, is about the chitta vimutti, which is the mind, the sense of knowing, awareness becomes very bright and clear, and through that you begin to discard or release these um, mental tension, uh, mental flaring, spurting, you know, mind jumping. So the mind becomes very still, awareness becomes very pure and bright. So then then it's like unblemished. Uh, And from there, um, then you begin to look on at that as, well, that's just that. That's the mind, it's not self, it's not who I am, it's core, it's, it's this state of of um, clarity or of, of brightness has arisen through skillful causes and conditions. I mean, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So the mind liberated the chetuvimuti. The mind is not. This is not. Isn't an idea. It's not a thought. It's almost like a. The body of the mind, the energy of the mind, is not interested in excitement or defense or movement. It's not interested in it. It's complete. So, uh, if you can imagine the the mental energy, uh, you know, as as a body in itself. Uh, so, you know, so, sometimes you go somewhere new and you can feel your mind is just shifting around like, what's going on here? What's this about? Am I all right? Am I okay? Underneath the thoughts, you can feel this energy moving around. Now, and this is when that energy doesn't move. Um, isn't, but it isn't cramped. It isn't held down. It's just naturally complete and, and uh, bright. Which leads to Pratnyavimukti. Yeah, yeah. Panyavimuti is the insight. So one you might say is more the samatha and one is more the vipassana um, modes. And you mentioned that these are the states the arahats are. Are they the always in the permanent states? <laughs> um, <laughs> you better find one and ask them. <laughs> uh, well, the arahant isn't really a person. It's... Uh, it's uh, a description of the mind. <laughs> yeah, so <coughs> the fruition of arahantship, you know, the arahant experience is that of that nature. Uh, and uh, so, it, uh, you know, it's from speculative, isn't it? But it can be that, you know, that a person who has realized arahantship can dwell in that quality, but then they also maybe withdraw in order to make the tea or something, you know. <laughs> so they can, okay, then you've got to come from that to your ordinary functioning. Um, but at the same time, you're functioning without these um, defilements. So the, the, the real, the, um, the banya remains. So whenever the mind moves, then there's some shifting. 
but uh, there can be the, the, the mind shifting from more functional than internally driven. So the mind has to shift because we have to do something, uh, fix something, talk to someone, so the mind gets moving. But there's no inner pressure, there's no inner I've got to do, it's just the functional quality. So the mind is is freed from, um, you know, inherent defilements. So the difference is, for us, we could just be in a state like that for a minute or two, whereas Arahants, they can be in a state like that for some... Whenever they want. Yeah. Whenever they want said of the Arant Sariputi, any state of mind he can be in whenever he wants, he could just go there. But, uh, yeah. How to manage, how to cultivate restraint in a world that is basically geared and pitched towards non-restraint. <laughs> you know, if you walk through a street, everything is saying, come out, come out, come out. Come out, buy, come out, get, come out. You know, everything is pulling. How do you do that? Uh, you any? Yeah? Um, in terms of investigation, um, in my experience, when I, like, okay, I want to investigate your body, and then it, it, doesn't, it doesn't want to, in the mind, it sort of like stops, in a certain place, and I, I feel like I can't really push it. Like I can't push it to work on it further. Investigating. Mm. What are you investigating? Investigating the body. Oh yeah. Or investigating any any mind or the contents. And the mind doesn't want to do that. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't want to do that. Does it? Does it mean that uh, I need to? Probably, uh, it, it can be the case that the you, you need the the food of samadhi. You need the food of calm. You need the food of good feeling um, in order to to do do some work. And then it's like it's it's not interested even. You know, I am very interested. Like <laughs> I want to know more, but it's it's like it just doesn't go there. Well, I don't know. You, I don't. You have to consider yourself whether your mind is dull, lazy, stale, just doesn't want to bother, or whether what you're what you <coughs> think you're interested in really isn't particularly interesting. <laughs> you know, it's it's not there to 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 figure out everything. Uh, you know, so so, uh, but it's there to look at where is our suffering, where is the release from it, where are the hindrances, where are the freedoms, where are the obstacles, where are the, the fruitions. That's the important thing to keep your, your, your wisdom out, out for. Um, also, some investigation perhaps is a rather slower process. You have to let things unravel. It's rather like a reading a, a long spy story. You know, you want to get get the, the answer, but you've got to go through 400 pages of <laughs> reading the plot. Or like a, un- uh, solving a puzzle. You know, you get the puzzle. Mm. 
Oh, maybe that. Mm. What is it? I can't see it. You know, let it come to you. So patience. So is it also like a, the state of just numbness? Like it just just doesn't do anything at all. So it's, it, I guess it's also a kind of defilement. Numbness is a defilement. Yeah. Not in, in terms of body, but it just uh, like it doesn't do anything. It just stays. Like it just just there and I, I can see it and I know that it's just there but it doesn't function mm-hmm. stump stump samadhi they call it <laughs> 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 the samadhi of a, of a tree stump <laughs> nothing much well it's an obstacle uh, so it's it's you might it's one thing is to try to l- get down to more specific qualities of sensation, apply the mind to specifics. How do I know th- what's the difference in the sensation in my thumb and the sensation in my forefinger? You know, how do I know the difference in my left hand and my right hand? Where are the warm patches, the cool patches, the dry patches, the moist patches? So you just get like you're mapping something. You give it something specifically that to work on, rather than particular questions like you know where what what is this defilement about? But it's not going to answer that. But it might you might kind of get it to work on paying attention to specific things, even with your eyes open, but particularly on the tactile sense. You know, feel it, feeling the different sensations in in your body. How you know you have a body. How do you know, can you feel each toe of each foot? The difference between the big toe, second toe, the pad of the foot, the arch. Track the sensations. So the more you give it specific um, things to focus on, then it will, it's got to come alive to do that. It's so much more powerful than what I want to, in a sense, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm so angry with this whole thing, and I just get so angry. <laughs> <laughs> That's another default. <laughs> Getting angry about it. <laughs> Anything more? <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> Why can't things work the way I want them to? Also, you know, you can use thinking, deliberate thinking. Deliberately think, think, you know, my left forefinger, think, you know. So, and then can you really feel it? Think that and try to really feel what you're thinking about. So you, you get the mind to come out of its, its numbness. Mm. This is a um, this particular syndrome is connected to vibhava. Vibhava, which is the non-existence, something doesn't want to be here, something's just blanking out, um, and it's it's not something that we de- de- deliberately decide. It's a 
it's uh, one of the root inclinations of the chitta. It's not a personal decision. So you may think, "How oh, I don't want this," but your chitta is is <laughs> is doing it. It's the vibhava. Um, so then, this is so very important to release this because that's that sits there. That's that's what's going to carry through your life. It's going to determine everything. You get to places where you just go, go. You know. Um, and it, it offers a kind of uh, a seeming security from being disturbed. You know, you sit there in your numb space and nothing's bothering me. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be affected by anything. So it offers a, um, a seeming um, freedom from, from being affected. But it's, not, it's, a, it's a drugged freedom. It's an anesthetic rather than a release. <laughs> so you've got to think, get your mind to work. So releasing it means you pay more attention to what it is? And well, like no, you, you first of all you apply remedies such as paying attention to specific details, deliberately energizing the mind to pay attention to specific points and details. Mm. So the energy of the mind is not caught in that in that vibhava mode hmm? so you see there it's quite clear that the the mind has a has this energetic quote uh, feature to it it's not so that it goes into this kind of numb dead state the energy just retracts and it's no longer alive it's gone stale another kind of energy form where the mind is just continually bursting out. So that's, it's, that's going the opposite direction. So these are, not, these are not thoughts. There may be emotions there, but they're even more basic than thoughts and emotions. They're energetic forms, bhava and vibhava. Bhava is always trying to cover everything, get more, get everything. Vibhava doesn't want to be with anything, moving away from it. So you can't investigate vibhava because it's just like investigating Jupiter. The gravity just sucks you <laughs> in, <laughs> you numb out. You've got to have a count, something else to pull out from it, to pull the energy out. Uh, so then when, when you've got some balance, then you might investigate it, but you can't investigate it while you're still under its domination. Yeah, I mean, things like specific walking up and down, Noting the difference between one footstep and another, uh, noticing the places where your mind is, wants to drift out, bring it back, think what's happening, what's this, what's the sensation, what's the intention, you know, that's more that, that applied energy, you know. <coughs> and also practice things like metabhavana, deliberately think of people who you feel some sense of warmth towards, or people who evoke your compassion. So you bring those to mind, you're making the mind pick up something, hold it and be f affected in a, in a helpful way. Hmm? So we bring to mind people we feel grateful for, um, things that have touched us today in a, in a, a way we've, we felt gladdened by, the acts of other people, or people we have concern for. You know, so you get uh, this, the mind energy is activated on an emotional level. So, yeah. And you know, 
mentioned about managing restraint and all of that stuff. Yeah. I was, that was a question addressed to the floor for you to <laughs> contribute all your practical know-how. <laughs> okay. There's, you say, you might say emotional or attitudinal and emotional withdrawal and an energetic withdrawal. Emotionally means you're not really that interested in all that carry on. You know, you're not even negative about it, you're just not particularly wanting to get your mind involved with it, all that. So, it's, and that's the, you know, and it's more like, well, that's okay, that's what's happening out there, fine. You know, I'm, I don't have to take it in. And then energetic withdrawal is you lose, um, you don't even give it much focus. Yeah. Don't give it, don't give it much, much attention. Focus instead, perhaps, on mindfulness of the body. Um, you, something you're, you're holding in your hands, the pressure in your feet if you're standing up, the posture of your body, just using that, coming back to that. So bring your energy back into this. Uh, sometimes it helps if you soften your, your gaze, so your eyes aren't so pulled out, your gaze is softer, your body tone is more relaxed, you're not sort of, your nerve, nerve endings aren't primed, reaching out, they're, they're softly relaxed. So all that just just helps your energy to come to pump back within, and that is so restraint is quite a can be quite a subtle, skillful thing. It's not a blinkering or, or throttling. It's just the you can feel your nervous energy pouring out because something in you believes that you know, is caught with the belief this is important. I should get involved with this. This is what the real thing is happening. Actually, it's nothing. It's just the same old. Um, you know, stuff <laughs> going on the way it's always done. Uh, yeah, what's really important now? What's really important now? Yeah. What's really important now? If the sword's at your throat, what's important now? <laughs> you know, this is important now. That stuff, you give, we give it importance. So it doesn't. You realise it doesn't really go anywhere. Conclusive. It just goes round and round and round. A lot of it is just nerv- nervous discharge, just nervous energy of unrestrained minds spilling over. There's no, no real substance in it. Um, so let's hold back. Yeah, Realising if there is something important, then you know your well, your your quality of calm and composure will act 
will will draw what's important out. First thing, you know, you should do something. The first thing to do is find your own composure. You can't really offer it to other people. You haven't got it yourself. <laughs> so you've got to get your own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's nice to offer it as an idea, but but you've got to offer it as a as an actual experience. Sometimes that in itself helps because it's we're naturally attuned to empathy, to picking up other people's energies and feelings. That happens quite naturally. So if if your own energy and mood tone just becomes simply calm and collected, it has a, it has an effect, a will effect. You start flapping you flapping around trying to calm everybody down. It generally makes it people. <laughs> even more <laughs> agitated. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Yeah. Which is a natural enough emotional response. Oh dear, it's distressing. Please, you know, you want to sort it out. That's, that's yeah, it's a natural enough response. But it, but it doesn't have the backing of mindfulness and, uh, and uh, confidence. There's got no, you know, you're offering something you don't have. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about restraints and the connotation within that of implicit possible criticism of expression or creativity or, because I've also heard you speak many times about the importance of loosening, widening, softening, um, sometimes just trusting that what comes out is going to be right. Yet it would be easy to understand restraint as always holding back and always mistrusting your spontaneous inclinations. And I'm not proposing kind of, I can see this particular way up the mountain doesn't involve ecstatic dance or something. <laughs> but there can be creativity like music or art or... Um, is enriching, mm. can be trusted, mm. is actually conducive to um, to well-being. Mm. So can you kind of enlarge a bit on restraint? Because <laughs> I think it's, it's been given a bad press right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it can, can seem like a rather puritanical uh, yeah, suppression. Mm. Mm. I think any any um, 
So use the examples of uh, music or art, for example, as creative, uh, you know, putting something out that's, that's creative, that has uh, some inspiring qualities or gladdening qualities or uh, imaginative qualities that are, can uh, be supportive. Mm. And I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but my sense is that generally such, such creativity is enhanced by restraint. That is, you collect, you gather yourself in, then you can do something, you know, so the energy is not, it's not a nervous compulsion. It's a gathering up your creative flow before you put it out. Uh, so Sangra is not the final end. None of these factors, no factor that the Buddha mentions ever stands alone. It's always got, it's a part of a whole mandala of factors. You see, the only one that stands alone perhaps is heedfulness, you know. And the rest of it is just, well, there's that, but you remember this, you remember that, 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 but then that's counteracted or balanced or moderated by that. Mm. So, uh, you know, restraint, we could say, is moderated by um, generosity, kindness, goodwill, compassion, right effort, putting something out deliberately, consciously, and even imaginatively. So, some some of our are, um, I'm, you know, personally, I'm a great believer in the value of play uh, as as something that brings aspects of the mind to light. Uh, obviously, I'm you know how to bhikkhus play. <laughs> you know, it's not wild sports and entertainment, but a certain playfulness of of imagination. You know, bringing something forth, writing or painting, drawing. Um, to counteract the tendency to get the vibhava or the where restraint becomes suppression we restraint feeds into our vibhava instincts uh, or our fear like well, I feel nervous about ever bringing anything forth you know embarrassed so we can't manifest properly so those are um, psychological cramps that, that mean the mind isn't allowed to fully form. Part of uh, mindfulness of mind, it seems to me, like any other m- mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, is you want to get the whole picture. You want to get the, f- so when you're mindful of the body, you want to feel the whole body. When you're mindful of the mind, you want to feel the whole of the mind, not just the little bit that you've decided is allowable. <laughs> Or, or straight, but the the whole quality, the the flows, the energies, the lights, the, and sometimes those things have a certain therapeutic quality. You know, creation has a certain way of bringing aspects to to light. Mm. But it's it's something that's conscious. It's not a pathology. It's a conscious. Mm. So that the restraint is just when you're grabbed by it. You know, it's it's the counteract of just being grabbed and and pulled out by sights and sounds, not by deliberately creating something, but by being dragged out. Mm. Anybody else managing restraint? Trying to manage it? <laughs> Working on it, huh? It's, own, it's part of it, um, but, you know, when... It, 
you have the, if you like, the thing that restrains, but also what, what is part of cultivation is developing those qualities that mean that your mind is satisfied and contented. So if, you, if your mind is happy and contented and you have you know, some, some samadhi or some mindfulness, then restraint becomes a lot easier because you don't really want to go out. You're quite happy at home. Which brings us round to meditation. Here we are. Let's do some practice together, shall we? Suggest we do uh, 10 minutes of standing. Standing meditation. Standing, you want to um, develop standing through lining your body so that everything in your body is comes down through the feet so you haven't got a blockage in your hips you're not holding on in your hips or in your shoulders so it's your upper body can be quite loose bend your knees a little or let your knees be soft tuck your tail in a little as if you're just intending to sit down so you relax your buttocks okay. let your arms come just a little bit away from the sides of the body so that you're nothing holding your chest in and your legs are roughly coming straight down from the hips so they're not splayed with an even stance the feet are parallel and standing as if maybe you're on the deck of a ship and you want to be really conscious of, of <coughs> connecting to the ground we'll start perhaps by Focusing on the inner edge of the foot, the big toe, foot, and make it grip. And let it duck. Ask it to grip like a claw. Tense your foot. Tense your foot from the inner side. And you feel the tension in your calves. Pull down. Relax. It's just, it's just waking up your body intelligence. So your body knows where the feet are and knows what they're about. and then widen your foot obviously you can't make it any wider but because we normally wear shoes, sandals and things that hold our feet in you want to let the foot know it's got all the all the room to spread. Okay. Let your toes come apart, widening the foot. Yeah, that, so the whole of the the ball of the foot is on the ground. The heel is on the ground. The toes are all connecting to the ground, and the pressure is even all round. Not on the back of your foot, not on the front of your foot. Just a little bit. That you might even lift up, lift your heels, and slowly come down, lift your toes. And just find out where it's as if you're almost embedding into the ground, standing. And then relax, focus, sweep your attention slowly up, up your legs. Mm-hmm. 
the inner edge of, of the legs, the inner side of the legs, so that as if they're just very slightly about to bow, they're alive. Legs are alive. Dropping your tail a little, loosening around the pelvis. You track the the uh, course of the spine coming out from the pelvis up into where it supports the ribs, and just check that the the rib cage, all this mass of the upper body, is not resting on the belly, but resting on the on the pelvis through the spine. So if you you might find, for example, mm -hmm. the chest needs to just to tilt up and back a little bit so that you feel the belly feels weightless there's no pressure there it's open, it's weightless and what's happening is that the weight of the chest is being transferred through the spine to the pelvis and then down to the ground so when the belly is relaxed and open the breathing naturally will drop and centre there which is where you want it to be Dropping the shoulders, loosening the arms, let the arms be long. Well, it's helping to rotate your hands a few times with a turning effect. And that turning comes from the fingers, the wrists, the forearms, the upper arms. It just helps to loosen up the upper chest. The tendency, I'd imagine, is to be slightly hunched because you know, we do a lot of sitting, reading, driving, and closing in. Yeah. And just work against that, see if you're unconsciously closed in. You like to open up. Gently from the fingers. And see if you're allowing an opening rather than fresh pulling. <coughs> and as you turn your hands, make it sort of let the breath come flowing in. Feel the fullness of the breath opening the chest. In breath. So you, you want your breathing to be abdominal rather than the chest. So getting the chest to relax the, so that in fact there's no pressure in the chest pulling the breath in and out. It's, it's, a, it's a swelling of the abdomen. You descend, breathing out, down to the abdominal chamber. Let it all go. Resting, waiting, till it starts to pour. And let it stay in the belly. Just stay in your belly when, you, when the air comes pulling in. And keep your chest relaxed. So then this upper body then becomes very calm and, and, and receptive rather than muscled up and driven. The tendency for us in our lives is to be much more shoulders head of the activator. We're going to calm all this down so we use the belly to do, to, to do this work, which is, is quite capable of doing. And the calming effect, the brightening. So that, that effect you can feel that effect and let that effect be sensed in your joints.
jaw, your face, your eyes, your forehead, places that you don't need to be activated, smoothing, softening, resting. So your head is just a, an open place for the air to pull in, pulled in through. But all the muscles in the head and face can be relaxed. Mm. When you cultivate this, it's quite uh, uh, skillful keeping your eyes slightly open because with that you can notice when your mind starts to get jumpy, your eyes will tighten up. If your eyes start tightening up, the mind is thinking. We're just monitoring the quality of the gaze and the quality of the sensations around each eyeball. Can those be left passive, receptive, but not? driven, not, caught, uh, not tightening up. If you uh, maintain awareness of the eyes, it will certainly help uh, maintaining uh, vigilance over the mind. The thinking mind really doesn't get going without the eyes tightening up, moving around. You may want to continue standing, but um, so but if you want to sit, take up the sitting position. Just bear, bearing in mind as you're going to sit, and you want to keep that tension around the torso, breathing from the abdomen, keeping the chest open and relaxed, and keeping the face soft, letting the air be pulled in through the nose rather than pulling it in. Keep those faces where they face. 